Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so I just had to do another podcast here. Um, a lot's happened in the past 24 hours. Nothing like major or earth-shattering, but I a bunch of stuff that I said, I got to get that out there. And 280 characters on Twitter is no longer enough because I need to say something, articulate it, put it in my actual word form. It's better for me. I'm a guy who talks for a living. That's what I do. So hopefully this is going to be able to satisfy that for a lot of you, because one of the things I need to talk about here is some rules changes and proposals for the NFL. Typically they come in around this time of year. They're voted on at the NFL owners meetings, which will be virtual again this year. And the bills do have a rules proposal in, but I'll get to that in a little while. It's one that came in uh, overnight that I read something about this morning and I put it out there on social media. I tried to explain it. I, maybe I didn't explain it well enough. It was super confusing. I think most people get it by now, but there's still a lot of confusion there. And I'm still like fighting my way through trying to explain it to some people. So if that's on me, then I'll, you know, I'll take that. But I think most people got it, but I'm still going to try to explain it <laughs> right here on the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Thanks a lot, by the way. Download, subscribe, all that stuff. We're on Spotify now. Apple iTunes, of course, radio.com, WGR550.com. So the rule proposal that I'm talking about that's causing all of this confusion is called spot and choose, basically. And it's an overtime rule proposal from the Baltimore Ravens, apparently. And it's like it's only apparently because it's not like officially written down yet, but I've I've read it and it's apparently the Ravens proposing this rule, and it's a new overtime rule. We've seen a lot of these come in, and the Ravens actually have been one of the teams that have talked about or proposed overtime or kickoff rules in the past, maybe because they've had Justin Tucker, who, by the way, just wasn't that good at the end of the year. Missed a couple of kicks against the Bills, too, in the playoffs, right? So um, maybe that's why. I don't know. But they're the ones proposing this new rule. And here goes. So basically, what the Ravens are proposing to overtime is this. You will play sudden death. First team that scores wins. But what happens is, There's going to be a coin toss, and I'm going to use two teams here. I'm going to use the Dolphins and Bills. The Dolphins are Team A. The Bills are Team B. The Dolphins win the toss, so they become Team A. The Dolphins say, okay, we're going to tell the official to spot the ball at the 20-yard line with 80 yards to go for a touchdown. They can choose the 15, the 20. They can choose the 1, whatever. The Bills now say, okay, we're either going to play offense from there and have to go 80 yards for a touchdown or 60 yards to attempt a field goal, whatever, or we're going to play defense and make you do that. 
So that's why it's spot and choose. Team A gets to choose the spot. They say, okay, this is where the spot's going to be. Now, Team A would never, here's where the confusion comes in. Some people are thinking that Team A, the Dolphins in this case, would say, okay, we're going to put it at the 20-yard line, only 20 yards to go for a touchdown. Well, you're not going to do that because Team B is then going to say, yeah, fine, we'll play offense. We win. Like, we're going to kick the field goal on the first play and beat you. You're done. That's not going to happen. So the Dolphins, Team A in this scenario, the Dolphins would probably say, okay, we're going to put the ball at the 15-yard line, 85 yards to go for a touchdown. Now the Bills have a choice. Do the Bills say, we'll take that. We'll put Josh Allen and our offense on the field from the 15-yard line. Now, the Bills are going to have to get about 55 yards and be in field goal range here. They may want to do that. Or if they get stopped, they're going to have to punt. And then the Dolphins get the ball. Remember, it's sudden death. Or the Bills, after the Dolphins say, put the ball at the 15-yard line with 85 yards to go for a touchdown, the Bills may say, okay then. Come on, Tua. You play offense. We'll play defense against you. We're going to stop you and get the ball back. No team is going to choose the plus side of the field, if you will. No team is going to say, hey, we're going to put the ball at the 30-yard line going in because that's an instant death sentence. They would automatically lose. Now, I've seen a lot of people reply and say, oh, this is easy. Everybody's just going to choose the 50. No way. That would be horrible. Let's say you're the Dolphins and you say, we're going to put the ball at midfield. The Bills are like, okay, we'll take the ball. We're going to go 15 yards and win. Because we have Tyler Bass and we're going to kick a field goal. That's all. That's all it needs. You need. So that's not going to happen. So I think just for the simple fact that it's so confusing, maybe we should just vote this thing down. But I love it, actually, from a strategic standpoint. I think it also comes into play on who the other team has for an offense. Right? So if you're playing the Chiefs and the Chiefs say, we're going to put the ball at the 15-yard line. You're like, mm, but they have Patrick Mahomes. They can probably go 50-something yards here to be in field goal range. You know, I mean, that's a chance you take. But if it is the Dolphins and Tua and their offense last year, you're like, okay, fine. We'll give you the ball there. You take it because we're going to stop you. So that's why there's some confusion here. It's called spot and choose. One team chooses the spot. No one is choosing the spot that's closest to, their, to, to going into the end zone. No team is choosing the plus, you know, 90-yard line, if you will, 10 yards away from a touchdown or even 20 yards away or 30 yards away or even midfield. In fact, apparently, this had been bantied around years ago and Michael David Smith of Pro Football Talk had done a study or he had tweeted about it and there was a study done, but something with that and he was involved in some way, shape, or form of putting it out there that the breaking point actually looks to be about the 14-yard line. I was actually surprised by that. Like anything over the 14-yard line, teams are the, the team B is like, I'm going to take offense. I'll play offense. I'll go 50 yards, 60 yards, have a chance for a field goal. Anything under the 14-yard line, most teams would say, okay, I'll play defense, make you do that. So hopefully that cleared it up. I don't know. My gosh, what a morning it was. Mina Kimes had the same thing going on that I did. She tried to explain it, and people just did not get the point. A lot of people. A lot of people did. So hopefully you did. If not, hopefully this helped it out. I tried to be nice and clarify it for a lot of people, but some just weren't having it, man. They were just still screaming about how right they were that this is the way to do it or, or this is this is what the rule means. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. So now hopefully you know. 
There's another rules proposal, this one by the Eagles, apparently, which is, and we've seen this before, it's come up before, the 4th and 15 in lieu of a kickoff. So what this means is, basically, if a team is trailing at the end of a game, let's say, and a lot of times these rules are, and and this one has been proposed before, it's been shot down, but I, I think it will pass eventually. There's been more momentum over the last few years to have something like this, whether it's the exact same way or not. So it's going to happen at some point, I think. But in a lot of years past, I think a couple of times it's officially been proposed, it's basically said you can only do it one time or two times throughout a game. But what you would do is you'd say, okay, we need to get the ball back. We just scored. Uh, let's say a team is down, let's say, um, I don't know, 10 points. Two minutes left. They score a touchdown. You know, they have no timeouts. They need the ball back. Now they're down three. They need the ball back. The only way to get the ball back is an onside kick. This rule proposal basically says, okay, instead of an onside kick, you have the option that you can put the ball at your own 25-yard line, have a fourth and 15 play to try and get a first down which I think most teams would take in lieu of an onside kick. The reason why is these have started to come up the last few years is because the onside kick rules have changed so dramatically that it's so hard to recover an onside kick now. It's like 8% chance, where it used to be maybe around 15 or 16%, I believe. So it's so hard to get the ball back that the league is trying to figure out a way to give teams a better chance to get the ball back that might be around the same percentage as an old onside kick used to be. But they don't want to go back to the old onside kick because of safety rules. Some of, some people have said 4th and 15 is way too easy. And it might be, I don't know. But some studies have kind of shown that it's a little bit more. Still, like it's around 16 17% chance, I guess, based on whatever years they did the study. Which is a little bit more, a tick higher than a traditional onside kick. You can still do the onside kick if you want. You can do an onside kick anytime, even if this rule change, uh, passes. You can do a surprise onside kick to start the game. You could still do an onside kick with 30 seconds left to try and get the ball back. Or you could try a fourth and 15 from your own 25-yard line. Now, if you convert, you get the ball right there. Fourth and 15 from the 25. Throw a 30-yard pass, boom. You get the ball there. What would that be at the other team's 45-yard line? Whatever. You complete a pass to midfield, you get the ball there. Or if you score a touchdown, it counts. It's a play. If it's an interception, a turnover, that counts too. The other team has the ball. If it's a defensive penalty, that counts too. Holding, defense, five-yard penalty, automatic first down. Boom. So maybe you like it, maybe you don't. I think the reason why, though, you have to think, you always have to think and put yourself in the league's position here, which is they want to create drama and give and keep eyeballs on television sets even towards the end of games. If a game has a chance to still be close or another or, or in the balance that's not completely over, people are going to stay with it. That's why you do things like this. People who say, oh, I hate all these rule changes and, you know, why, or even say like, well, just be better. Well, that's fine. I get it. Just be better and don't, you know, don't get yourself in that position. You won't have to get a fourth and 15. I get all that. But, you know, I mean, were you against the two-point conversion when that came in back in the early 90s? Because if a team was down eight and they scored a touchdown – they couldn't tie. Then they went to the two-point conversion, the old AFL rule. Now you can tie. You know, sports are all about evolving and changing rules for competitive purposes. What was good in the 40s and 50s wasn't good in the 60s or 70s or 70s wasn't in the 80s or 90s, and we always change rules in every sport. There used to be no shot clock in basketball, no three-point line. 
um, baseball used to years and years, like, I don't know, a century ago, foul ball, a third strike foul ball is still a third strike. You didn't stay alive, so to speak, right? I mean, rules are changed to help competitive balance and purposes, but mostly in today's day and age, a lot of times rules are changed to help with the entertainment of, you know, the sport and at the end of the game and the drama and things like that. The Bills did propose reportedly a new rule. So again, this will be on the docket when the committee meets at the end of March at the owners' meetings. And this one's interesting because I think that a lot of people are trying to read into why the Bills would do this. The rule the Bills reportedly have proposed is teams looking for a new head coach cannot interview coaches from other teams until after the conference championship games. And they can't hire anyone until after the Super Bowl. Now remember, Ryan Dable was interviewing four jobs. Interviewing four jobs, not four jobs. Like two of them I think he actually interviewed for. The Jets and the Chargers. He was interviewing for jobs during the postseason. Leslie Frazier interviewed for the Houston Texans job during the postseason. A lot of talk about Eric Bieniemy not getting jobs over the last several years. He interviewed... For He was actually requested to be interviewed. I think he did interview. I'm not positive. For all seven of the openings this year in the NFL. By the way, teams cannot block assistance from interviewing for head coaching jobs. But there are certain parameters and time constraints when teams get to be able to do it. You know, the the week of the wild card game, but then you can't do it before the divisional games, but then you can before the it's It's all these different rules. And then there were even more rules on top of that this year because of the, you know, COVID pandemic and virtual meetings and interviews and things like that. But this rule would be a blanket one, which basically says you can't interview anyone until after the conference championship games. Now, here's the thing. I don't see this passing because if you're a team that fires your coach, you want to get on with, you know, getting a new head coach as soon as possible, getting your program in place, getting staff members from other teams who are already eliminated. I, you want to do that. So if you're, I don't see it being passed for that reason. However, I do think it has really crippled a lot of these really good assistants and people with the ability to be head coaches because other teams don't want to wait for them. That's what happened to Brian Dable. I am firmly convinced that Brian Dable would be the head coach of the LA Chargers if the Bills had lost to the Baltimore Ravens in the second round. They hired Brandon Staley right after that game. They know Dable has to coach another week at least against the Chiefs. And they're like, we're not waiting. And then right after that, Dable took his name out of consideration, reportedly, for the Eagles job. Because for whatever reason, maybe he felt, I'm done with this. I'll I'll wait till next year. I don't want this to be something I have to think about this week. I'm getting ready for the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. So here's the thing, though. There's a few reasons why the Bills may have proposed this. I think there's been way too much speculation that people think Some fans, some media, some people think the Bills proposed this rule because they believe Dable and Frazier were too distracted during their playoff run. I don't think that's the case at all. Now, granted, they didn't didn't play well. You could say they didn't coach well. I don't think that they were distracted at all. I don't think that's the reason why the Bills proposed this rule. I think it's actually the opposite. I think the reason the Bills proposed this rule is because they felt that Leslie Frazier and Brian Dable we're both extremely qualified and in life you want humans and people to succeed and help them. And I think the bills wanted to see them succeed and knew how much it meant to them. And they both kind of got shut out because of how far they went in the playoffs. And 
I think the Bills felt that was a disadvantage to those particular individuals whom the organization cares about. I actually believe that. I mean, we we heard from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, who had said repeatedly, yeah, these guys deserve head jobs. I hope they get them. Now, if you think they're lying, that's fine. I don't. I think, look, Sean McDermott went through this. Why would he not want Brian Dable to do it? He was an assistant. He got a job. I think the Bills did this because they want, and they wanted, I should say, you know, Dable or Frazier to be able to get one of these jobs. They didn't and felt the reason was because they went too far into their season, you know, the postseason. I think the other part of the reason is, and it's kind of a mix between the two things, the distraction and the thing I just said, which is I think the Bills might also feel that it's just putting it's putting these people in organizations in a really tough spot where, man, we it's super cool that, you know, you're getting this opportunity. We want you to succeed. We also know you have to prepare for this game. So how do you balance that? And I think that's hard for anybody. It's hard for anybody. And we went through that in Buffalo covering this. I did. All the media did covering Ryan Dable and what was going on with the Chargers and all that stuff. You know, it's a, it's a tough position to be in. So I, I think that that's why the Bills proposed this rule. But I don't know. Um, I don't think it's going to pass. Again, because I think if you're a team that moves on from your head coach and you think about, hey, I could be in, a, I could be in that situation. If you're an owner, you think, well, what if I have to fire my coach? <laughs> well, I, I have to wait now? To, to hire somebody? What if you want to fire them in week 14 or 15? Which, by the way, if this rule passed, I don't think you would do that really much anymore. You'd wait till the season played out. Now you got to wait a whole month? Even if you identify somebody you really want? You can't even interview? What about, can you interview your own staff? I don't know. There's just a lot of things I think that have to be worked out here. I understand the rule, and I, I do think that it's a very, it's it's much harder for very qualified people to get head coaching jobs because of the way the system is set up now. Because when you go deep in the playoffs, teams don't want to wait. But I'm not sure exactly what the answer to that is. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's not. But the Bills did apparently propose this rule, which is going to be talked about and voted on at the owners' meetings. All right. The other reason why I wanted to do this podcast is to talk about tight ends. And we've already talked about tight ends. I talked about the state of the Bills tight end. I did an article on it, WGR550.com. I did a podcast on it. I also did an article on free agent and trade targets for the Bills at tight end. I never did the podcast. And the reason I'm bringing it back now is because this morning on the air, Jeremy and Howard were talking a lot about tight ends. And it got social media abuzz talking about tight ends. So I figured, all right, I'll give you my two cents on tight ends. This is basically just right from the article I wrote about free agent and trade targets for the Bills at tight end if they decide to upgrade tight end one, if you will. See, the article I did and what I'm about to talk about is not just to add depth to the tight end spot. I'm talking about actually getting like a clear number one tight end because as Brandon Bean said, he said he didn't feel that the team really ever... That their defense, that their, I'm sorry, that, here's his quote. Let me do this again. He said, I was never where I felt the opposing defenses was like, man, we got to stop their tight ends from going off. He also said, at the end of the day, we'd love to have a guy like we just faced in Kansas City. That's Travis Kelsey. They don't come very often, but that's what you want. So those are quotes from Brandon Bean. I think that's very telling. 
maybe much more than anything he said in his post-season Zoom call back on January 27th. Candid about a specific position, as candid as you'll hear. And I think the Bills could very much be looking at trying to upgrade at tight end one. Now, that does not mean Dawson Knox has to go away. It doesn't mean he's not he shouldn't be on the team. I think Dawson Knox is going to be a part of this team. And, he, and I think if this happens, he's going to be tight end two, and he'll still get plenty of playing time and opportunities. I like Dawson Knox. But if this team is looking to truly upgrade tight end one, then they're going to have to either do it through unrestricted free agency, restricted free agency, or a trade. So here are the guys I wrote about, and I'll tell you about right now. Let's talk about unrestricted free agents. These are guys we don't, we don't know yet if there's going to be any tags put on them. That could still happen. It hasn't yet. Hunter Henry did have a tag put on him last year. So if he does again, it would be a lot more expensive for the Chargers. 26 years old. Among all NFL tight ends the past two seasons, he's sixth in yards, 1,265, seventh in receptions with 115. He also caught nine touchdown passes during the last couple of years. 2016, he was a rookie. Really nice year. 478 yards, eight touchdowns. Really good sophomore season. 45 catches, 579 yards. His star was totally rising. Then, torn ACL. Missed all of 2018. But now we're like three years removed from that. He did miss four games in 2019, a couple years ago, with a knee injury. He was on the COVID list last year, but pretty much he's played. He's played pretty much every game since then. I like Henry a lot. I think that's the kind of guy you target, but he's going to be expensive. But that's the kind of guy I think you're looking at if you're really trying to get an upgraded tight end one. Another guy I really like, and maybe to me, might be the number one target for the Bills because I don't know if he'll be as expensive. He might as Henry, and that's Jonu Smith. 26 years old, Titans. Let me tell you about John o. Smith because I think he's kind of a guy that maybe people don't think about in that same vein as some of those top-tier tight ends, and there's a reason. And that's because he hasn't been the high-volume producer that others at the position have been since he entered the league in 2017. But let's remember, run-heavy offense he played in, very run-heavy. In fact, the Titans are one of only three NFL teams to run the ball more than they've passed it over the past three seasons. Now, that said, his production's increased every year. He went from 18 to 20 to 35 to 41 catches, 400 yards in each of the past two seasons. Last year, 41, 448, his highest, eight touchdowns. The, those numbers, 41 and 448, the highest of what he's had in his career. He's gone up every year. Now, despite having the 22nd most targets among tight ends over the last two years with 109, which isn't like a lot, he's actually tied for the six most touchdowns with 11. They use him on screen passes, short passes. They get the ball in his hands. He's really excelled like that. He's a very, he's very good at the ball in his hands. And I like that. Found his way to the end zone a lot. I think he might be maybe the most sought after tight end on the free agent market. Who knows? Given all that, that I just said, which could see his, Price climb really high, but we'll see. He's not going to get tagged. Most don't expect that. Henry could get tagged, and then Smith becomes even more valuable to some teams. Gerald Everett, 27 years old, Rams. Extremely similar to Smith in the fact that his production's gone up every year since he's been in the league. Starting in his rookie year in 2017, his receptions went from 16 to 33 to 37 to 41. His receiving yards also climbed. 417 this past year. Now, also like Smith, though, 
Gerald Everett, not a big focal point of the Rams' offense. Last year alone, the Rams had two different wide receivers with at least 124 targets and another with 81. Everett wasn't even on the field as much as Tyler Higby, another tight end. Everett, 57% of the snaps. Higby, 73% of the snaps. However, this is an athletic guy. He can move around the offense. The Rams love to use a lot of motion, including with their tight ends. The question a team like the Bills would have to answer on Everett is, will his production take a dramatic jump if he sees a dramatic jump in snap counts? And I think that's a fair question to ask because you don't know. Is he great at the role he's in? Or is does he need to have an expanded role? And then you can really take advantage of him. Or is it diminishing returns if you give him that expanded role? I think that's the question you have to ask about Gerald Everett. So I'm going to give you a guy now that I have never been, you know, interested in signing. But this year might be a little bit different simply based on Brandon Bean's comments about the tight end. And that's Jared Cook. And the reason I've ne- never been big on it is he's 34 years old. He's a, To me, he's a one-year rental type of player. I've never been interested in that. I kind of am this year, though. Where the salary cap is, not knowing the uncertainty, you know, do something for a year, maybe then groom somebody or at least, you know, find your way to who your next really big tight end is while Dawson Knox continues to grow, I just think could be something you might want to look at this year. I'm not eager to totally do it, but I'm much more for it than I have been. Again, most likely a one-year player at his age. He's been really consistent throughout his career. 11 straight seasons with at least 29 catches and at least 361 yards, his his floor, over those 11 seasons. Last year, 37 catches, 504 yards, 7 touchdowns at 33 years old. He's just two seasons removed from catching 68 passes for almost 900 yards. He was with the, the Raiders at, uh, at that time. Since turning 30 years old, Jared Cook, over the past four seasons, since turning 30, the fourth most receiving yards... 2,793, and the eighth most catches, 202, among all tight ends in the league and selected to the Pro Bowl twice. He can still produce. Again, I'm not pounding the table for for Jared Cook here, but I do think that this is the type of year where they might want to do something a little different in that regard, and maybe this is how you do it. You find your way to somebody as you have him for that one year because the window is now. Let's go. But if you're looking for a guy who is maybe on the cusp of a breakout. A lot of people like, I do too, 26 years old. His name is Dan Arnold, and he plays for the Arizona Cardinals. He was with the Saints a little over a year to start his career. Didn't play much. Then he goes to the Cardinals, has a huge spike in production after he saw the field a lot more. So this is that guy that, you know, I was just talking about Everett, And what happens if he sees the field more? uh, Dan Arnold, not Darnold. Dan Arnold did, and he saw a huge spike in production when he did see that time. Now, the Cardinals led the league in running 10 personnel. That's four wide receivers, no tight ends. The Bills were actually the second most team heavy in 10 personnel. The Cardinals were the only team in the league that ran 10 personnel, four wides, no tight ends, one running back, more than the Bills last year. Arnold was still on the field, however, for 41% of their offensive snaps. He did. He caught 31 passes for 438 yards last season in 41, on 41% of the plays. He was the only tight end, get this, last year, Dan Arnold, the only tight end in the entire league 
with at least 25 catches who averaged over 14 yards a catch. That's some big playability. That's what I want for the Bills. Six foot six, 220 pounds. I think he'd be a hidden gem who just started to show last year what he can do given that expanded role. I'd love the Bills to target Dan Arnold. Okay, here's a restricted free agent tight end. And, you know, I don't know if this guy's going to be good or not, but he's super intriguing for me at least. I don't know. His name is Mo Alley Cox, 27 years old, plays for the Colts. Now, I don't know what the Colts are going to do with him because he's scheduled to be an RFA, so they're going to have to make a decision. But they may decide to tender him an original round qualifying offer, which would cost about $2 million. And in that case, they would not get any compensation even if another team were to sign him to a offer and the Colts refused to match. But then you'd have to sign him to something over $2 million anyway yourself. They could also give him a second round tender. That would cost around $3.3 million. I don't know if they're going to do that. They're not going to give him a first round tender. I can't see that. But if they did, they'd get that second round back. They'd get a second round pick from a team who signed him. I can't see that happening. If if, If they put a second round tender on him, the Bills are out is what I'm saying. But if they put a original round tender on him, I don't know, maybe if the Bills really like him, I mean, can you sign him to two something per year and then go, yeah, I really like this guy. Why would I like him? Well, the guy never even played organized football. <laughs> he hadn't, I should say, since his freshman year of high school. And he winds up going to Virginia Commonwealth University and playing basketball. He's a basketball player. He goes to the Colts, first two years, used sparingly. But then last season, 31 catches, 394 yards, two touchdowns, 12.7 yards a catch, seventh most among all tight ends with at least 30 catches in the league. He also catches everything. Among all the tight ends that I I just grouped him with, he had an amazing catch rate of 79.5%, second only to Robert Tanyan of the Packers. They have to make a decision on him too, by the way, but I don't expect him to become available, Tanya. But Mo Ali Cox, this is a, a what, he's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, I believe. I don't have it written down what he is, but he's a former basketball player, VCU. We've seen a lot of these guys, these former basketball players become really good NFL tight ends. Maybe he's the next one. I just think the Bills need to monitor how this situation plays out with the Colts and Mo Ali Cox, because this could be another one of those diamond in the rough that you bring in. But again, it also could be, is he really an upgrade over Dawson Knox? I'm not sure. You'd have to really do your due diligence on this guy. And I'm sure the bills are on everybody, but you'd really have to be convinced if that's the case. Okay, so we went through UFA and RFA, unrestricted, restricted. How about trades? Two guys I identified that I think the bill should at least make a call on. Number one, In either order. I'm not saying 1A, 1B, whatever. Just either guy in either order I'll talk about. Number one, David Njoku, Cleveland Browns, 25 years old. I've seen a lot of speculation about him over the last year or so. And I think for good reason. Let me tell you about David Njoku. Drafted in the first round of the 2017 draft. Looked like he was going to be something really special. 56 catches for 639 yards. His second year in the league. Then, a wrist injury. In 2019, his third injury, his third year, forced him to miss 12 games. So it looked like he was really on the cusp and then had the injury. Then right after that, the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski as their new head coach. And we know he is very much 
known to incorporate tight ends a lot in their scheme. And you're like, wow, they could really use Njoku. But then they go out and they sign Austin Hooper from the Falcons. They draft Harrison Bryant in the fourth round. And on top of that, you're like, oh, well, okay, what are they going to do with Njoku? They actually exercise Njoku's fifth-year option anyway for 2021, this coming year. So last year, they had all three on the roster. However, Hooper and Bryant were on the field more, and by quite a bit. Hooper and Bryant, over 55% of the snaps for the Browns last year. Njoku, less than 34. And he wasn't super productive, caught only 19 passes, 213 yards, and a pair of touchdowns. Now, you think about this for a second. Here's a guy, they exercise his fifth-year option. He's scheduled to make $6 million this coming year. But yet, he's on the field the third most of any tight end on the, their team. Guys that I follow who cover the Browns say, oh, he's the best blocker on the team. They want to pay him $6 million to block and be on the field the third most? I just think it seems like, you know, that's a hefty price. And if the Browns want to continue to do that, great. But if not, I think it looks like a, a team that might be looking to get something of value for him. He just might need a, a better place to be. Because to me, it looks like the Browns are clearly not, he's not in their long-term plans, or at least if he is, they're paying a pretty big price to not use him as much as they should, which doesn't make sense. So how about the Bills call? He might need a fresh start, a change of scenery. Another guy who might need a change of scenery. We've talked about him before. Evan Ingram, 27 years old. New York Giants. So Ingram is super interesting because he also is in the same boat as Njoku, first of all. Fifth year option was exercised. He was drafted in the 2017 draft. So his fifth-year option is going to be just over $6 million, just like Njoku for this year. But he's been far more productive than Njoku through four NFL seasons. In fact, over that time, he has the fifth most receiving yards, over 2,400, for any tight end since coming in the league last four years. And the only guys ahead of him are Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, and Jared Cook. That's a great list to be on. So why would the Giants want to trade him? Injuries and drops, two biggest concerns. He's missed 14 games over the last four years. And according to Pro Football Reference, charged with 11, 11 drops just this past season, the most in the league. In fact, 60.7 was his catch rate and has been since entering the NFL. That's the second lowest for any tight end with at least 75 catches over the last four years. Actually, the only tight end worse is Njoku, but he's not known to have drops. I don't know, but kind of weird. He's not talked about like Ingram is. So why would the Bills even want Ingram? Well, he did play 16 games last year. He was even voted to the Pro Bowl, 63 catches, 654 yards. He was the Giants' clear number one tight end, on the field for 78% of their offensive snaps, leading the entire team with 109 targets. He was like their go-to guy. But it just seems like a love-hate relationship going on there in New York and what they're going to do with him, what they do or don't want to do with him. I don't know. But he is athletic. He's pass catcher. He just needs to stay healthy and be more consistent. But if you're willing to take that risk on him and say, I think he could stay healthy, and the Bills have a plan for that, and the Bills have been good about you know the health plan for guys, and you think he can catch passes and not have the drops, I think the Bills should make a call on that if that's what you're looking for. So those are some of the options. You can find that uh, article at WGR550.com, trade and free agent targets for the Bills at tight end, but wanted to uh, get it out to you here. So last podcast, to wrap up here, I talked about these 
limited series shows I've been binging and watching and love watching. I, I really like the limited series shows. And I forgot there was one that I had watched recently I didn't talk about uh, on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit. I know some of you have watched it. If you haven't, I recommend it. It's really good. It's a limited series. I don't, can't remember how many episodes, maybe seven or eight or something like that. And it's all about, um, it's a it's a fictional show, this one. I like the ones a lot of times that are more true, but this one's fictional. And it's about a girl who uh, is orphaned. Her mom uh, gets killed. She goes to an orphanage. She learns how to play chess at a very young age, and she's phenomenal at it. But she also um, gets, she gets hooked on, like pain pills, well, uh, some drugs, basically some pills and she likes to drink. But anyway, it's, it's her journey through the chess world. And, you know, at, and this is takes place in like the sixties, basically. And a woman becoming great at chess and going around the world and beating guys and entering tournaments. And it's, it's pretty cool. Especially if you actually like chess or you play chess. I haven't played chess in a long time, but I know how to play chess. I read actually that like sales of chess boards spiked like 60 or 70% since this series came out. You'll want to play after watching it, but check it out. It's called The Queen's Gambit. And I did just start start watching Escape from Daminora. I think that's how you say it. Daminora. It's the this is the limited series directed by Ben Stiller actually. It's all about the 2015 escape from the Clinton Correctional Facility. Remember that? in, I guess, upstate northern New York, whatever you want to call it up there in the Adirondacks. Remember when those guys escaped? Uh, Sweat is one of his name, one of the names. And um, Matt, uh, Richard Matt is the other one. And Richard Matt is from Tonawanda in western New York. And he actually was in jail, in prison, because of a murder he had committed in Tonawanda and also in Mexico, I believe, if you go back and read his story. But it's... Already two episodes in, there's only, I think there's seven of them. I'm already hooked, but I will tell you, it's got a great cast. And Benicio Del Toro plays Richard Matt, and I liked Benicio Del Toro a lot. So already, that was something that appealed to me. This is on Showtime, by the way. So you got to have Showtime or, you know, through Prime Video, Showtime, whatever. But it's called Escape from Daminora. I think it's how you say it. (laughs) And it's, it's really cool. It's good. If you ever watch a movie I've always loved since I was a kid is Escape from Alcatraz. And I've been to Alcatraz. It's amazing. It's awesome. If you like Escape from Alcatraz in any way, you'd probably, I'm, I'm sure you'd like this. If you like any kind of those prison shows, I'm sure you'd like this. But this is a true story. And I'm only two episodes in, and you probably know the story and what happened and the woman who got involved with them, these two prisoners romantically and helped them escape. So it's going through all of that. And, but it's, it's acting. It's not like a documentary. It's a series, and it's based on a true story. That happened with actors. Patricia Arquette is in it. She plays the woman who helps them. Really like it. So go check it out. Another one that I'm starting. I'll <laughs> I'll tell you more of these. I become more of the uh, not like Siskel and Ebert the movie critic. I guess I'm just the uh, the bin show critic, watcher and reviewer here on the podcast. So I'm glad to do it for you though. Thanks for coming aboard here on the podcast. I'll talk at you again. Hear me on WGR Sports Radio 550. Lots to get to with the Bills. Next week, I think there's going to be, you know, roster moves being made around the league. I'm sure the Bills are going to be one of the teams that are going to be making some of those roster moves. We'll see where things go. Um, Teams got to get under the cap. Free agency, new league year begins March 17th, March 17th at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's when everybody's got to be under the cap. We don't even know exactly what the cap number is yet, but uh, we're less than two weeks away from that. So thanks a lot again. Sal Sports and stuff, once again, 
Spotify, iTunes, radio.com, WGR550.com. Leave a nice review if you can. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.